Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by Filecoin Foundation. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV. Happy Wednesday. I'm Zach, that's Jen, Will's over there. We're going to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto and more. Will, start us off. JP Morgan said something. Yeah, you guys know those banking analysts I really don't like. Well, they said something I actually agree with. So this is kind of cool, right? We got a good story for once from them. Uh, according to JP Morgan, a research report that they released last week, the U.S. banking crisis may be vindication for the crypto ecosystem. This research report dives into, of course, the banking collapses with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and Silvergate recently, but also goes and talk about that exposes the, uh, the weaknesses in the traditional financial system and the asset mismatches that we've seen recently and how crypto might be a way around that or at least might be, might be good to have some exposure to it after all. Jen, I'm going to throw a story over to you. I love seeing these stories when the price is going up. This is exactly what we want. We get the bankers on our side and we got price going up. This is what we need. What a great Wednesday, right? So I remember when we were talking about the banking crisis, I brought this up. It was kind of bittersweet. It was a bittersweet feeling to see what was going on with the banks in the States, but to see the price of Bitcoin, you know, on this steady incline. However, I feel like people who are watching the banks collapse and who have never dabbled in crypto aren't like piling their money into Bitcoin for several different reasons. One of them we're going to talk about in the next story, but also because regulation in the States, right? People who have not interacted with crypto, I think, are reading a lot of the mainstream headlines, looking at what regulators are saying and staying away from crypto. People who have interacted with crypto, though, I think are looking at Bitcoin and saying, hmm, maybe I'm going to put some more of my money into Bitcoin because of what's going on in the States. I don't think we've seen the end of this. I've said that on the show before. I I don't think we've seen the last bank collapse. I think that the economy is probably going to get worse before it gets better. But this is a good story. I love to see the price go up. I love that we have alternatives and people can make choices. Zach? There's a big, you know, big hedge word here, right? Maybe vindication, Will. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, all right? I <laughs> love the JPM. I love the JPM reports because <laughs> all these researchers, they have to walk such a fine line, right? Because Jamie Dimon, 
He's one of the biggest Bitcoin critics there is, right? He's the CEO of JP Morgan, has long been skeptical of the space. And yet JP Morgan itself as an institution, a big institution at that, does have various crypto experiments going on and does produce reports such as this that may run afoul of some of the boss's predispositions and thoughts about the space. So it is always funny to watch them do that dance from a public relations perspective, right? You don't want to like sink the figureheads, longstanding belief that Bitcoin is kind of a scam, but you also want to say, okay, hey, this may be validation for what Bitcoin was created to do in the first place. So I always just watch, I just, I like, I like the, I like the tightrope act that the JPM's you know, beloved analysts here are executing. Will, I'll toss it back to you. No, you're right. Like these, these banking analysts, they can't quite take a stance. They can just sort of hint at what they actually think. Uh, two other points in here that are interesting to talk about. One is that Bitcoin ordinals are shattered out within this research report, saying that that my drive up transaction fees and increase miners' revenues, which would benefit the entire ecosystem. More demand to use Bitcoin is sort of the idea here. Cool to see a fledging product only launched in January. Already mentioned in these banking notes. Second is having schedule for Bitcoin. For those who are not in the know, Bitcoin undergoes a change in supply issue and schedule every four years. We are coming up on that in about one year from now. And historically, this is sort of time with bull run kind of lapses behind it, maybe a few months. But I think bankers who look at the high level data are looking at us and be like, hmm, there might be some good stuff in store on that Bitcoin angle. I don't, I don't know if I have any more takes past that, guys. Like, I, I think that we might see a few more of these banking reports pop up on like DeFi or Bitcoin again. You think uh, we might? We definitely we will. will. Well, I'm going to be positive as a thing because... <laughs> Yesterday, we talked about like the SEC lawyer angle and like having a chart kind of comparing enforcement actions and headlines with how many lawyers there are. I think we need like a banking one with like positive to negative banking analyst stories based on price. That's my final take on it. Zach, I'll give it to you though for the next story. All right. So right here, we have capitulation from Jamie Dimon. I kid, right? This is not capitulation, even though it is a somewhat favorable report from JP Morgan about Bitcoin. But let's change gears here. What does Warren Buffett have to say about this whole thing? Let's see. Something like Bitcoin, uh, you know, it is something, it's a gambling token and doesn't have any intrinsic value. And, and you know, Larry Summers was on a week ago, said that it doesn't have any value. I mean, it doesn't have any value, but that doesn't stop people from wanting to play a roulette wheel. All right, shocker. Warren Buffett still <laughs> dislikes Bitcoin. We've gone from rat poison square to gambling token. One of the many, the many, many knocks on Bitcoin from the Oracle of Omaha over the years. Not much new here, but hey, man, he's, he, that's his story and he's sticking to it. You're not going to win over everybody, even though JPM is out here touting the benefits of the orange coin. Warren Buffett, no, sir. He is not changing his perspective. And you know what? I respect him for it. Jen, I'm going to toss it to you. What are your thoughts on this? Well, my first thought was, why do people keep asking him about Bitcoin? And then I had my answer. It makes for a great soundbite. So I don't think we're going to see people stop asking him about Bitcoin. What pains me is that some people watch these interviews, hear these soundbites, read about what Warren Buffett is saying and treat that as, you know, doing their own research. And I think that is part of doing your own research, right, is hearing one side of things. But I hope that when people hear this and they're just getting to, into the space, they, you know, do their own research, go a little bit deeper, hear all perspectives before you make your own decisions when it comes to crypto. 
Now, although Warren Buffett is very against Bitcoin, some of Berkshire Hathaway's top investments include companies that are not so much against crypto. I went and took a look at some of their top investments this morning. Apple, Amex, Activision, Blizzard were among some of the top ones. And I know Apple's not getting into crypto, but the Bitcoin white paper was revealed to be on all of their computers. And so someone at Apple is bullish on crypto. <laughs> Amex launched a crypto card last year and Activision Blizzard has said that, um, well, when HP acquired Activision Blizzard, they said it was a metaverse play. And so while he is not bullish on Bitcoin, he does have some companies in his portfolio that are bullish on crypto. And that is my final word on this, Will. I love that. I love the uh, <laughs> Apple white paper story making another appearance <laughs> based on this. It. Had nothing to do with the story. <laughs> no, uh, just got to get it in there. <laughs> I love some of the other comments we had, though, from Warren Buffett. Uh, and he was mostly talking about SVB and talking about the banking crisis, which I think is definitely related based on the backs of the last story, right? JP Morgan's talking about banking crisis that's putting attention on Bitcoin. Definitely seeing an increase in the price of Bitcoin, a narrative forming around Bitcoin sort of separating itself from stocks and from the traditional banking structure based on that price action. Warren Buffett's angle here, he said that there's going to continue to be more banking failures, but depositors are not going to be impacted, stating that the FDIC is going to have this under control. And to be fair, so far, that does seem to be the case, right? SVB and Signature Bank were sort of limited casualties of this banking crisis so far. There might be others, and there's a lot of warnings out there, and a lot of these banking stocks are not doing great. So far, Warren Buffett's theory is holding up. Depositors have not been impacted. Interesting thought there. And I think that could continue to happen. It's sort of funny, though, to look at this and look at Warren Buffett's opinions on this banking crisis and see like depositors might not be harmed here. But he's still anti-Bitcoin, which from a lot of people in the Bitcoin spaces angle, this is sort of a thing that protects like it's an insurance policy against a bank failure, right? So you might think that he might be like more willing to discuss it. Zach, over to you. Well, wasn't Warren Buffett reported to have been like flying around and potentially offering help during the midst of this banking crisis, right? So he is like that backstop that maybe is the ultimate, the ultimate mm. backstop. Maybe he has a bit of a horse in this race as it relates to the banking stuff. But I guess the longstanding animosity toward Bitcoin, it is what it is. I mean, he's going he's, he's gonna to stick by, he's going to stick to his guns. And that's fine. Him and his homie, Charlie Munger, they're out here talking that talk about Bitcoin. And you know what? It does spill a lot of ink. Hey, this is Jensen Essie from The Hash. Are you heading to Consensus? Because I am, along with the rest of The Hash crew. If you're there, you have to connect with the Filecoin community ahead of Coindesk's big event at the Filecoin network base from April 24th through April 26th in downtown Austin. Join Filecoin ecosystem contributors for lightning talks on Web3, gaming, developer workshops, and the latest updates on the Filecoin virtual machine. Spanning three floors packed with programming and networking opportunities, the network base hosted by Filecoin Foundation is your go-to spot for cross-chain collaboration and connection in Austin. Register today at networkbase.io forward slash Austin. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. 
visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. We are going down the regulatory rabbit hole now. SEC Advisory Group Investor Advisory Committee has requested formal crypto guidance from the agency. The committee is made up of a group of people from TradFi, academia and consumer advocacy groups. The letter sent last week said the SEC should consider issuing a request for comment regarding areas where additional guidance is needed related to the application of the federal securities laws to crypto assets. It then said that the SEC can use this input to craft additional guidance or propose new rules. Now, that's the good part of what they said. The rest of it, they pretty much are agreeing with everything that the SEC is doing and are saying that they encourage more enforcement action. Zach, I see those Mr. Burns hands going over there. What do you make of this letter? Ain't no one falling for this trick again. No one is, no one is, no one thinks the open door. Come on in, talk to us. We're friendly regulators. We like you. Have some candy. No one is doing that. They've done that for years. And every time someone goes in from the crypto world and says, hey, here's some constructive feedback. Historically, those people have been targeted further down the road for enforcement actions. So none of this good cop, bad cop stuff is going to work. And clearly what's on the line here is, again, the important part is, we think crypto should comport with existing securities laws, right? This is not revolutionary technology. This is not a car versus a horse buggy. This is a slight improvement to existing realities. And therefore, the SEC thinks, oh, it should, be, it should comport with those existing regulations. Now, many people in crypto, and I'm very sympathetic to this, see these things as significantly different than existing securities, right? Not, this does not necessarily represent you know, future earnings or future profits to be expected from the work of other companies. That's what securities apply toward, right? These are, in some cases, adequately decentralized protocols that exist across the world that are different. And I think what the SEC is trying to assert here is that, no, they're not different. And that's still very much contested and still very much debated. But yeah, the whole, the good cop, bad cop shtick here, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I think that ship has sailed in terms of people who are looking, people within the crypto industry who are looking to engage at that level. I think at this point, people are pretty rightfully skeptical of some of these claims that we want feedback that can be productively used in the quest toward informed regulation. Doesn't really seem to be the case with the SEC's current sort of warpath approach, but I don't know, Will, you gonna go get the candy? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I got a few thoughts here. And the one is... Who set this advisory group, right? Did the SEC, the current SEC administration set this advisory group or was it in the past? Has it been there historically? That sort of like informed me, right? Because the past SEC uh, chairman was actually pretty pro-crypto, right? So now we have a change of seat and Gary Gensler the last two years has been pretty anti-crypto labeling most things as security. So eh, it kind of depends on like where these people were like put into this advisory group and when. The second thing on that's sort of interesting here is the fact that they do agree mostly with what Gary Gensler is doing, but they're asking for more information, just like everyone else in the crypto space, right? They're saying like, hey, we need actual standards and guidelines for what is the security and what is not based on how you guys interpret the digital asset space. The last thing here is that they do agree that most things are probably security. So they do agree with Gary Gensler's take that most things besides Bitcoin are security. That is not great for the industry to have like this advisory body just sort of come up and like cheerlead on what Gary Gensler is doing. Apparently, they don't like the way he's doing it. They don't like this enforcement action policy that they just you know, go after any project that sort of like raises too much suspicions or brings his head above the waterline. That seems to be something they don't want. 
but they do want clear guidance. And then they probably want to go after all these different projects for being quote unquote securities. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah. So the letter also argued against legislation that would establish separate treatment of crypto. And so that kind of feels like the complete opposite of going out, finding out what the industry needs and then setting rules that cater to the industry. So that little tidbit made me, you know, think like, is this all for show? Are, how, how much do they actually agree with this one statement, given all these other things they said? And it made me think of A16Z's State of Crypto report, which was released this week. There's a whole new section in the report on regulation. And there's a chart that shows, you know, I think it's the last five years, maybe in crypto. And we can see like a steady decline when it comes to developer activity in the U.S., and also U.S. people accessing the top crypto sites. And so here we have the data in front of us. We can see how this confusion in the regulatory sphere is pushing crypto offshore. And I think that they are achieving their goals. Will. Okay, last thought from this article is interesting. Okay. Uh, the, the advisory body is saying that they do not want any different special treatment for crypto assets that they think are securities based on legislation, which is a pretty progressive interpretation of the SEC's regulatory purpose, right? So the SEC has been given the power by Congress to enforce regulations that are already on the books. And this advisory body is saying, quote, we think it is very unfortunate and disturbing that there are legislative proposals to carve crypto assets out of the federal securities laws and undermine investor protection. So what we're seeing here essentially is the SEC and the SEC body, this advisory body saying, hey, we want to actively inform what the legislation looks like. And we don't want the legislators who are voted into Congress to be able to do that. I think that's pretty disturbing, but it's nothing that we haven't seen to date from the SEC. Zach, to you. I mean, no, it's a give and take of the governmental process, right? You got the legislative branch, you got the executive branch, try to inform each other, whatever, whatever. I think the interesting thing here is this is probably an allusion to the stablecoin bill. There's many sort of stablecoin provisions that was initially thought that the stablecoin legislation would be the one that would be more likely to be passed, right? But this could be one of those things that they're saying, hey, we shouldn't be carving these out and treating them as something different when in some respects, potentially the way some stablecoins are manifested, those look more like securities and should be regulated as such, right? So I think that is actually quite dis discouraging for the idea that at least on the stablecoin side, there could be some certainty, again, forced through the legislative branch that gives stablecoin issuers and others operating within the space some clear guidance that they've long clamored for. So I think that may be the subtext on that little bit, but that definitely stood out, Will. And I think you're, you're wise to point that out that, hey, the SEC is angling for, this is their turf. They want this whole, they want the whole pie. They want the whole thing. And, you know, Bitcoin is not sort of specifically mentioned here to my knowledge. Uh, we know of Gary Gensler's comments on Bitcoin being potentially the only one that isn't a security and that should be more within the purview of the commodities regulator. But again, all this stuff is still being so hotly contested. And I think, again, this is just what we see after the FTX implosion in November, all these things sort of coming home to roost and actually sort of, you know, hitting the ground with enforcement actions, proposals, et cetera. We talked about yesterday, the budget ramping up their efforts to bring in enforcement staff to make this, an, again, a top priority, as mentioned here again. So yeah, this is the, this is the FTX fallout. It's getting intense. They're just ratcheting up the crackdown. It's, it's serious business. Jen, come on, give, give us give us the last word here. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the FTX fallout. It feels like that happened years ago and it only happened in November. And so, Zach, I think you're exactly right. This is the fallout. We can expect to continue to see fallout. But hopefully, once the storm settles, we can get some clarity in the industry so we can move forward 
But I think we got another government story. Here we go. Let's talk about some more D.C. stuff. Senator Elizabeth Warren and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez asking Circle, BlockFi, a bunch of other fintech firms, what's the deal with Silicon Valley Bank? What's all this special treatment that y'all were getting? What about these fancy dinners, these, quote, industry ski trips, this, quote, mutual back-scratching dynamic that was going on between SVB, VCs, and fintech firms. Some prodding, some asking of questions. I don't know. Maybe some, maybe a bit of grandstanding as well in there. But certainly it's all there in a letter that was sent to some crypto firms and some fintech firms on Sunday, I believe. And there it is. They want answers. I don't know, Will. What's your read on this one? It's kind of funny they bring up all the parties that happen in crypto because that's sort of true, right? Like every company kind of gets tied up in that. To be fair, though, Elizabeth Warren has made a lot of money being in her position as well. So there's been some recent stuff on Twitter about that, but her paycheck versus her assets on hand that are disclosed because she's a senator. So, you know, a little bit ironic here. That being said, let's dive into the meat of this whole story. SVB is obviously banking a lot of different firms in the tech circles, including Circle and BlockFi. Uh, They were unsecured depositors at those institutions. Luckily, the Fed and FDIC was able to backstop all those banks. And so neither one really suffered any losses. They just suffered maybe some PR losses during those unfortunate weeks, a few weeks back. The biggest thing here was Circle, right? That $3.3 billion stuck in SVB for a few hours. And there was concerns about like, will USDC disablecoin explode? And what does that look like? And now AOC and Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren are looking into this and saying like, why were you guys banking with SVB in the first place? And what was the relationship here? I don't know if anything is going to come out of this that's super fruitful. I think that at the bottom line here, SVB had some poorly managed assets and that caused a bank run. I don't think a ski vacation or some like a little spending here on the side was going to cause a downfall of this. Maybe the leadership at SVB was like not focused on the goals and tasks of the bank and that's why it collapsed. But I, I don't really see what they're going after here except for maybe a headline. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, in the letter... To Jeremy Allaire, the senator said that the bank didn't function like a normal bank. It catered almost entirely to the tech industry. And I don't know, I don't know a lot about banks. So maybe you guys can can help me out here. Are banks supposed to diversify the customers that they cater to? And and also, if there was a run on the bank at any other bank, let's just keep it to North America, wouldn't this happen? So when I'm reading their their letter and reading all of the facts that they point to, I just feel like this could be applied to any bank. And now that the bank has collapsed is when they're asking the questions. I feel like if they actually cared about a lot of the things that they're bringing up, they would be asking these questions throughout normal banking operations and they wouldn't wait for a run on the bank to now say, was the business you're running actually being run properly? I don't know, Zach, if you can explain to me why this is different than maybe some other banks. Well, politics is just engagement farming. Am I right? I mean, you can't be asking those questions when no one cares about the questions. When people care about the questions, that's when you get the engagement. So that's what we see in politics as we do on social media and influencers worldwide. That was an extremely sort of cynical take. So excuse me. It does appear to be true in this instance. Silicon Valley Bank perhaps has the worst name in all of history, right? It's easy to take shots at Silicon Valley, especially from prominent members of the the Democratic Party. And I think they're trying to score some political points here. They're trying to paint these big, rich, fancy tech people who are getting a bailout from the FDAC and the federal government as being somewhat wrong and ultimately in need of reform. And I think this is uh, something that serves that end goal. Whether it will be effective is an entirely different question. 
I'm also really interested to see what the responses are from these companies are. It notes in the story that the deadline is April 24th. That's their due date to uh, fire some stuff back. Going to be interesting to see what, if anything, gets submitted on that day to see what their side of the story is. But hey, I don't know. Will, what do you think? Yeah, final thoughts from me. I don't have like the asset sheet in front of me of like different people who are banked at SVB, but my understanding was it was not only Silicon Valley companies are banking there, but there was like a lot of wine country, Northern California was banked there. A lot of small businesses in Southern California or Northern California area were banked there. So it wasn't just them. That being said, to Zach's point, right, this is a great headline for AOC and Elizabeth Warren, both who have uh, sort of made cases for themselves for going after Larges and overspending within the banking sector and calling for more regulation, these two things. And it's very easy for them to look at this and be like, this bank failed, this bank had these customers, and these customers love to go on ski trips with the banking executives. If that's bad or not, that's your decision. I mean, that's what the bank spent money on. It was a public company. Those financials were disclosed publicly. So if you didn't want to buy the share, you didn't have to. But now that's exploded. It's a great opportunity to take some pot shots from anyone who's in the political circles. Zach, give it to you as we close. Full disclosure, Coindesk was a Silicon Valley Bank customer. And full disclosure, I never got a ski trip. Where's my fancy <laughs> dinner? I never got a letter. I want to make my <laughs> I didn't voice get any of known. these perks. What the <laughs> hell? I perks. worked for Coindesk for all these years and we never got any perks. Ah, terrible. <laughs> All right, that's it for the show today. We got some big news for you guys. This is kind of crazy. Two weeks from today is when Consensus kicks off in Austin, Texas. The Hash has its own stage. If you were there last year, you'll remember that we had a really fun live show experience. We're doing it again this year. Come by, ask us silly questions. We'll all have a good time together, shall we? All right, that's it. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jen Sinassi and Will Foxley here on the show today. Check us out on the podcast network if you have a minute. A lot of good stuff there. Go download us. Give us a listen on your run or while you're doing the dishes, whatever you want. All right, that's it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm Zach. That's Jen. That's Will. We'll see you in Texas soon, too. That'll be fun. All right. Bye, everybody. See you. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.